want to welcome everyone to another edition of the Equip Podcast. We have a special guest with us today, Dr. Ron Cluzet, a teacher of mine from way back at Southern uh, College, or maybe I guess it was yeah, it was Southern College back then. And then you went on up to the seminary after I had left the seminary. And then uh, I was able to learn from you some more uh, working on a doctor of ministry. So, uh, Dr. Ron Cluzet, tell us what your role is now and, and some of that journey of uh, traveling through Natty and now on to your current location. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I am talking from uh, Seoul, Korea right now, the headquarters of the Northern Asia Pacific Division where we came about a year ago, just a little over a year ago, after teaching for 23 years, both at Southern Methodist University, mostly undergrad, and then Andrews University uh, graduate, uh, you know, the seminary. So we, uh, my responsibilities here are being the ministerial secretary, chaplaincy, and prophecy issues. Um, I have an associate also the head of another department, so uh, I don't really have much of an associate because she <laughs> has plenty of work where, you know, leading that department, which has to do with children, family, and in the women ministries. All right, so I know one of your roles at Andrews was also director of uh, NADI. Um, tell us a little bit about what that entailed and then how that carries over into your current uh, location there in the east. Yes, uh, I was the director of the North American Division Evangelism Institute, which was founded, it began in 1979. I was the third director. It's located at the seminary building. It is a, a, a division institution, which is, uh, when I was there, when we were there, there were about 13 full-time people six of whom were professors to teach, outreach, evangelism, lay empowerment, city field schools of evangelism. So that whole area of evangelism was passed to the Evangelism Institute. Now, um, one of my our pastors into sort of model and teacher to do more effective evangelism, we have a very interesting picture of evangelism here, and so that 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 has proven to be a, a very good and worthy challenge. Tell us a little bit about the culture there. Um, you know, compared to here in America, where most of the listeners would be um, more secular, probably multiple non-Christian religions to to be engaged with. Absolutely, yes. Uh, population, which is 1.6 billion people. Wow. So this, this division has the largest population when it comes to, uh, you know, outreach uh, challenge. Less than 1% are Christian. Okay. And less than 0.01% are Adventists. So even though we have 730,000 Adventists or so, so it's a great challenge. It, you have Buddhist Confucian ethics, Buddhist traditions, Shinto traditions, particularly in in Japan. You have shamanism, which is uh, quite uh, strong in Mongolia, uh, and in 
Western uh, China. You have folk religions in China answer to worship. Um, in addition to that, you have secularism, particularly in Korea and in uh, Japan, which are very you know advanced societies uh, technologically, etc. So you have a, quite a different picture than what you would find in America. In addition, you have a worldview that is very different in the sense that it is corporate-centered. Mm. Um, people make decisions because the group makes decisions. Okay. In America, we're used to making decisions individually, which lends very well to the Christian message, which says, you know, each of us has a decision to make regarding following Christ. But that's a little different when it comes to Asia, um, because people don't usually make decisions to follow Christ unilaterally. Uh, that causing for them to make that kind of decision unless they have the support of family members or, you know, family in general. Okay. So what do you do to, to reach this huge number of people uh, with such a challenging thing? What are some, some ways that you've been trying that have been working or haven't been working? I've been here for decades. It's basically friendship evangelism. Mm -hmm. And they do work on that. And they make friends and they invite people. But that has very clear limitations because there are very few people that they can reach one-on-one. -on -one. In general, they don't really have developed a, the public aspect of evangelism or a very vigorous outreach plan from the local church, for instance, offering health seminars or stop smoking or stress seminars uh -huh. or children's, you know, parenting seminars would make uh, good acquaintances of some community members. They haven't done that very much, although they do some of that. Yeah. But they have relied mostly on personal evangelism. In addition to that, most of these societies do not believe that the layperson is equipped, properly equipped to give Bible studies, okay. personal Bible studies. The only people that can give Bible studies are pastors. Mm. And so we're trying to break through that, too, and we're training. And we are convincing a few people now that regular members can actually give Bible studies and that God can actually use them to, to help others understand the Bible. And so um, are, the, are the pastors responding to that? Are they uh, beginning to see that that is a possibility that works well? Yes, in general, the few responses from the pastors that I could ascertain have been positive. Okay. I hadn't even thought of it, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, that my members could actually give Bible studies. So uh, their concern is primarily training, um, especially in Japan. And that we started a field school in Japan last January, uh -huh. uh, the 10-month process. So they're, they're kind of glad that maybe some of the members would be interested in giving Bible studies. Okay. I think I saw something, uh, I don't know if it was on the, in the review, about some uh, pastors from Japan that had gone to the Philippines to, uh, to do some evangelism. Was that something you were involved with? Yes. A couple of years ago, the division, one of the GC, set up a commission 
to study the case, the, the situation in Japan. Japan has been losing membership. Okay. And uh, they, their churches are getting smaller and smaller. Most churches in Japan, an average church would be 20 people, 25 people. But they do have the building because they used to, those churches used to be 80 people oh, wow. before. The great majority of the members are between 60 and 90. Uh, they have a difficult time reaching out to other people. In addition to that, we have a contributing factor has been that uh, the sense of identity that many Japanese pastors have had has not been a very strong, a general Protestant identity. Therefore, they haven't had a really, and that has not been passed on to the, to the members. So, two years ago, big commission started. Now I'm chair of that commission, the, the NAC, I mean, the division president asked me to do that. And so we meet regularly to deal with issues about how can we help the process in Japan? How can we change really the entire mindset of Japan, yeah. basically, so that they can start growing? Um, among some of the things that will take place is that Ted Wilson will come in 2018 okay. and do meetings. And because he's going to do public evangelistic meetings in May of 2018, there will be another 140 or so sites in hmm. Japan where there will be meetings. Okay. That is, in fact, to tell you the truth, and, and this may come as a surprise, in Japan, evangelistic meetings are considered to be one night or two nights. Oh, wow. A year. Yeah, uh -huh. one or two nights is all there is. And, of course, you don't get decisions that way. Yeah. You must get a decision to want to study the Bible. So having a multi-night series set forward. And the Japanese people are, you know, slowly accepting those suggestions by both the vision and the GC, you know, which are, you know, strong motivators, obviously, <laughs> to make it happen. And it's already making a difference. So what does that have to do with the Japanese pastors in, in the Philippines? Uh, that is one of several ways in which we want to train those pastors uh, to do evangelistic meetings. Okay. So about 26 pastors and a dozen lay people went to Japan and to Mindoro Island. They preached in English. You oh. have to understand that most of them, English is not a very good language for uh -huh. them. It's pretty rough. So they preached in English. They preached 17 sermons. They've never done anything like that. Yeah. And with distinctive Adventist truth. Okay. Uh, and they baptized 868 people. Wow. Praise the Lord. So that is change in their mindset about what is possible. Yeah. I was at past weekend, and I was talking with the assistant to the president, and I asked him, what, what do they come value from the meetings in Mindora? What, what have the pastors learned, and where are they at with that? And he says the number one value was confidence. Mm, they okay. didn't think they could ever do anything like this, even having 10 days of evangelistic meetings. Yeah. But they did it for 17 days in a foreign language. Now they feel like they actually can do that mm -hmm. in Japanese for next year. So 
that has been a very positive thing, even though the Philippines are very, very, is a completely different story yeah. uh, than Japan. But uh, how, how long are the meetings going to be in Japan in 2018? How many nights? Half ago, the president of Japan, the union, asked me directly in a committee, what is the minimum number of meetings? Because I was making the comment that one or two nights will not do it. Yeah. And said, what's the minimum number of meetings we need to do to, do to have public meetings? And I said, well, in my view and experience, 10 nights, you need at least 10 nights mm-hmm. to, for people to make you know, some real decision. Build a relationship um, with people and yeah. Right. And, and, and that is assuming you have people coming who already have been coming to the church yeah. or have some Bible studies or have connections with mm-hmm. members. Um, even, you know, right out of the street, 10 nights is not a time. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's where we are, and we are very excited about that prospect because we're advancing, and uh, the, the Japanese people are very honorable people. They are really gracious people on Japanese culture and history. Its shadow has been over those islands for centuries, centuries. Mm-hmm. That uh, needs to, you know, the light of the gospel needs to come through, and it has been very difficult task. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a pretty exciting thing, and and seeing some that are gaining um, confidence, like you said, and seeing God at work, and realizing that that God can work with them at their home church and and home locations as well. How many Pastor, like a, how many churches does a pastor have on average oh, there in those areas? Is it a um, lot or a few? They used to have just one per pastor, which okay. is the case in Korea, South Korea. They basically have one church per pastor, um, even though it may be a very small church, like 50 members or 60 yeah. members. In Japan, they cannot afford that anymore. So most pastors have two or three churches. Okay. Most of them have at least two. Some have up to four churches. For are typically no more than five to ten people. Okay. Uh, you know. Yeah. So these are we're talking about very small. A, a, a typical pastor in Japan would have a church of say fifty, sixty members on the books, thirty members coming, and a group of uh, six people. You know. Stuff like that. Okay. So uh, now that you've been there for, is it two years you've been over there? 14th month. 14 months. Okay. Um, so you've seen some different cultures. So what is something that you could uh, tell me as a pastor in the United States that, that you've learned from your time there that could that could help in this culture that, you, that you're more familiar with? Uh, a number of things, but one that comes to mind right away is... Most people in America would have no clue how great a challenge it would be to work in a place like this that has no Christian background whatsoever. Yeah. It is deeply secular, and uh, and then Eastern thought, Eastern worldviews predominate, obviously. You, you have to start zero, you know. Uh, the whole even concept of God why there is not not simply convincing people that there is a God, mm-hmm. but why would there be a need to believe? Hey, I know that you Christians believe in God, but I don't see the need to believe in yeah. God. And that's not because 
they're necessarily naturalists. Um, it's just because Buddhist philosophy really does not count on a god. You don't need a god. All all you need is enlightenment. You need you need wisdom. But yeah. You don't need okay. First. So what I would say is count your blessings <laughs> and, and really count your blessings because you have you're working at, as challenging as it is in America is becoming more and more secular as challenging as it is you have a basis of conversation most people understand salvation heaven uh, you know good and evil and in God and personal God etc they may have misunderstandings about a biblical God, you have a basis of conversation. So I would say, man, just go at it because the opportunities are great there and are going to get less and less great yeah. the more America becomes more secular. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good point that uh, now more people do at least, like you said, have a foundation of Scripture and we need to not wait until that foundation slips away but uh, take the opportunities that we have now. Right. Any other insights, something fascinating from your experiences over there? Sure. I did uh, a series in Mongolia last September, okay. which was uh, enlightening to me because I realized, you know, the church, the Adventist Church in Mongolia is very new. It's only 25, 26 years old. And uh, so it's a small church, and it's the only place where it's a young church. Uh, mm. In areas in China, it is also young. You know, in China, 60% of the pastors are women. And, okay. uh, and they're very effective. So yeah. the, the largest churches are actually packed by women. And most of the real workers are women in, in churches. The same thing in Japan. Uh, 80% of the members are women. Okay. And, uh, and they're the ones that work. Um, the Being here has really help me know how to pray more and oh, wow. how to really depend on prayer and how to cry out to God for things that are just so impossibly difficult. So I believe in prayer much more than I used to believe or not. And I I even teach on prayer here. Uh, I say most Adventists are missing two things about prayer. Most okay. Adventists do not pray enough. And then most Adventists, when they do pray, they do not pray in faith. Oh, wow. The whole concept of faith and prayer is something that, uh, in my experience, I think that most believers do not know or understand. Well, here, you really are absolutely dependent on that because if you're not, we have, you don't have enough resources. Yeah. We don't have enough resources. Um, I just taught a doctoral class two weeks ago, and the resources are minimal in terms of what's available in Korea. It was it was at Sun Youth University, mm -hmm. um, uh, which you, for instance, have, and you have ten times more resources yeah. available than are here. So prayer becomes very very important, and. Um, and having a meaningful relationship with God and expecting God to open doors and to show you the way, uh, that has become much more of a, of a daily um, 
it's a daily experience and challenge than it used to be for me. Well, that's uh, that's neat to say because you've uh, taught many times on the Holy Spirit, and uh, I know you have a book, Adventism's Greatest Need, that is about prayer and the Holy Spirit. So to uh, to have a more even deeper uh, walk in that way uh, is quite a testimony to share. Yeah, yeah, this has been a great blessing to my wife and I because you know we're old missionaries in the sense that we came here old. Not because we've been missionaries for a long time, uh, which is really, in retrospect, the Lord really had His hand in that. Because in these part of the in these parts of the world, people respect older people mm. more than in the West. Yeah. If we had come when we were twenty-five or thirty, it probably would take us much longer to establish credibility. Yeah. But we we have that from the from the beginning which is helpful for us because we don't have, you know, we don't have 20 years to do what we need to do here. Yeah. So we need to be very efficient with with the use of our time and our resources. Well, it certainly sounds like with your uh, devotion to prayer and uh, your um, encouraging pastors to uh, both equip their members and to be engaged in a, a more the fuller form of public evangelism, it seems like things are beginning to, to change and take shape to, to reach the world there. Yes, one of the things that I've really enjoyed is I've gone to several um, pastor's meetings, and um, and obviously the field school in Japan, we're going to start a new field school in Mongolia in, okay. uh, later this month. Um, pastors have been very open to hold the whole idea about training and and they encourage their members to come for training and the members are very encouraged when they get training they're really much more uh, seemingly appreciative and they all take notes and they ask questions that's that's a very good picture of, of many of our members who are learning how to how to be good Christians and how to take the gospel to the world, which is so so they're happy that that is happening and we're happy that they're happy. Definitely so. Uh, let me let me ask one more question. I know you've got you've got lots of things going on and it's morning time there. It's night here, so you're just getting started with your work day. Um, but for someone that's listening. Um, they may not be able to get on a plane and go to Korea or Japan, but what is something they could do um, this week to start to to reach someone in their sphere of influence, wherever that might be? Okay, good question, and and I'll give it to a two part answer. Okay. Um, one is if you are a praying man or woman, then uh, look for opportunities. Expect God to answer uh, with tangible opportunities. So in the morning, simply say, God, who do you have in mind for me to bless today? Okay. Who do you have in mind for me to bless today? Um, help me be on the lookout. Be a Holy Spirit radar for me so that I can spot that opportunity. I want to bless somebody today. I want to bless that person with your presence, with something from you, I want to be a blessing. For the person who is not used to praying very much, um, 
I would say get on your knees and ask God to give your burden for somebody mm. and to lead you to someone that you can be a blessing to, somebody that you can know. Uh, let me let me tell you a quick personal experience, okay. if that's all right. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, a few years ago, I was living in Tennessee when I was speaking at Southern, and I had been used to giving Bible studies and gave Bible studies to students, and I had led about 11 of them to be baptized. You know, there were a number of non-Adventist students mm-hmm. at, at Southern. And, um, but, but there was a period uh, where I did not give any Bible studies, probably close to the year. And one Sabbath morning, I realized that. Hmm. And I went to my knees and I said, Lord, forgive me. I have not even been looking for people to give Bible studies to. I've just kind of gotten into the habit of being an institutional professional in the church and no longer thinking about people outside. Please forgive me. Give me somebody to give Bible studies to. Show me somebody that I can give Bible studies to uh, soon. Hmm. And that was a Sabbath morning. We went to church, Sabbath school. The associate pastor said, a Sabbath school teacher didn't show up today. Can you teach Sabbath school? Normally, my my menu to study the Bible does not include Sabbath school on a consistent basis, the, you know, the quarterly. Yeah. But I knew the subject of that day because I had had an interview on that topic on television a few weeks ago, <laughs> and it was on the And so I started teaching. Uh, about two minutes after I started teaching, a very fine, finely dressed lady comes, very well dressed. You could tell she was not an admin. Uh, and she sat next to my wife, hmm. and she was deeply interested. And I started praying for her while I was teaching the Sabbath school because it was very clear to me she was not an Adventist, and maybe the first time she was an Adventist. Wow. At the end of Sabbath school, she approached me. My wife had already met her, and she asked me this question. This was fascinating. I had never heard a Bible lesson like this. I learned so much. I have so many questions, she said. Uh, and then she says, uh, you know, after we got to know each other, she learned that I was a professor at seminary. And she says, you must be very busy, but is there any possible way that we could meet a few times to study the Bible together? Wow, perfect. I thought to myself, praise God for that. Didn't, you know, just three hours before, I was praying, mm-hmm. God, give me somebody to give Bible studies and the Lord really, really answered. After a few months of studying with her and her husband, they became Adventists and very active Adventists. Mm, praise the Lord. Lord. So God does answer prayer when you mean it, when yeah. you want to make it difficult life. Yeah. So when you pray that prayer, you better be ready because God will uh, put right. somebody in your path. If you mean it, He will answer. That's you right. Better. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. So uh, I think uh, we'll we'll close the interview at this time. So if you have any questions or comments, please send them to equippodcast at gmail.com. Uh, remember, we want to tell the world about Jesus, and you can help. All right. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> Thank you.